Well, today we are beginning a new sermon series uh, that we are calling Eight Keys to the Life You've Always Wanted, and we are basing that series on the Beatitudes, the beginning of uh, this famous sermon that Jesus preaches called the Sermon on the Mount. The video kind of gives us that introduction to these very powerful statements of Jesus. And you know, when you look back on someone's career, uh, maybe a writer or an actor, even a scientist, someone who's kind of world-renowned, you can almost always look to one work or one book or one film that kind of is their quintessential work, right? It's, it's the one thing that just says that is that person. Uh, an example, take uh, Tom Hanks, right? The great actor Tom Hanks. He's been in so many great movies. And you could say, well, what is the Tom Hanks movie or what is he most known for? And sometimes it's hard to determine what the quintessential work is. There's great movies like Saving Private Ryan and Forrest Gump and Castaway and Sleepless in Seattle. You can go on and on and on. For me, Forrest Gump is the Tom Hanks movie, right? That's what I think of when I think of him. And in a much more dynamic and powerful way, the Sermon on the Mount is the essential teaching of Jesus. I mean, he says a lot of things over the course of the Gospels. He does a lot of miraculous things. But the Sermon on the Mount is the essence of Jesus' view of the world. This is the way that Jesus sees everything. And it's the way that he talks about his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so on your outline this morning, we're going to follow along kind of as an introduction to the Beatitudes, these powerful statements that begin this sermon of Jesus. But the first thing for us to see is that the Sermon on the Mount teaches us about kingdom living in a fallen world. How are we to live according to Jesus' kingdom? in this fallen world. And so look with me at how he begins. We're gonna start right at the beginning in Matthew chapter five at verse one. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen also. But look what he says here. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So right away at the beginning of this, um, we have to kind of recognize a few things, really to make sure that we understand what Jesus is talking about and what he is saying. First, what does Jesus mean when he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? What is that reward, that prize? And you see, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right as he comes onto the scene, as he begins his ministry in the world, he declares time and time again that he has come from God, that he's come from heaven bringing God's kingdom. And what that means is that we believe that where Christ is, where Jesus is, so also is his kingdom, is the kingdom of God which means if Christ is in us, the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of heaven is in you. And so if you look at your outline again, 
The kingdom of heaven then is where Christ's rule is present. Meaning that Christ is determining everything. And if Jesus is in you and if he's in me, then his kingdom and his rule is determining the shape of our lives. We are following after what he desires. And so at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is on this mountainside and he's teaching his disciples and all of these crowds start to gather around and he's teaching them as well. And he is essentially telling them what life should be like with him in charge, with Jesus as king. And so that's what the kingdom of heaven is yours means. But he also uses this word blessed, as you heard Pastor Dudley tell us at the beginning of the service today. All of these statements at the beginning of the Beatitudes, throughout these 10 verses that start his Sermon on the Mount, start with blessed. Why does he do that? Blessed are the. Blessed are the. And you see, the Beatitudes are these broad, big, sweeping statements of the Christian life and the character that Christians are meant to live with in this world. And if we're going to define the word blessed, I think we could say that blessed simply means happy. That if we're to translate that word, blessed means happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the merciful, and so on. One of my favorite preachers who's long since gone to heaven was a British preacher, a Welsh preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he's written a lot on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, and he defines blessed as happy, and what he means is the sort of person who is to be congratulated. Meaning, if this is happening in your life, you are blessed. You are the sort of person who should be congratulated for this happening in your life. Happy are the poor in spirit, is what we're thinking about today. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I love thinking about it this way because happiness is the great question of our culture today, right? We're all wrestling with what is it that's going to make me happy? It's the question that our neighbors and our friends and our culture are asking. What are the things that are going to make me happy? And so what Jesus does in the Beatitudes and in this famous sermon is tell us what will make us happy. If you want to be happy, if you want to be fulfilled, if you really want to live with me, then here is the way. I'm going to tell you. Here is the way. And then he gives us the Sermon on the Mount. And so a couple of other things we could say as an introduction is that these Beatitudes reveal the character of the Christian life. This is the way that we are called to live with God and with others and they also show us what life looks like when we embrace Jesus as king when Christ's rule is in us when we live for his kingdom and so that's where we're going in this sermon series but today we're going to look at this first beatitude just these few verses where Jesus begins his long sermon and all of the beatitudes 
And I think we could summarize this opening statement by asking a question. It's the title of our sermon this morning, something that can direct us, and it's simply this. Who are you depending on? Who are you and I depending on in life? Blessed are the poor in spirit. From what source do we draw all of our strength? Where do we find our meaning? Where do you find your meaning? Where do I find my meaning? Where do I find my happiness? What makes me happy? Where do I depend ultimately? What, where is my ultimate dependence found? And I want us to see that Jesus in this statement only gives us two options, only two. We either depend on God wholly, completely, or we depend on ourselves. That's it. And no matter how long you've been following Jesus, this is an ongoing battle. This is a daily struggle of this issue of dependence. Do we depend on ourselves or do we put all of our dependence on Jesus? Is all of my life entrusted to him? And so that's how Jesus begins. The opening beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. And if we're gonna grasp what that means, it's gonna ask us to truly understand who we are before God. We have to. We have to understand who we are before God to know what it means to be poor in spirit. And I want to take you to two additional passages of Scripture this morning, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament that I think give us a sense of truly understanding who we are before God. The first is from the prophet Isaiah who has this incredible encounter with God, a vision of God's presence shows up in his life and look what he says in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The Lord, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, Isaiah says. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen who? The King, the Lord Almighty. This is a pretty remarkable scene. Right? Isaiah is literally before God and what is he overwhelmed by? He's overwhelmed by the glory and majesty of God. He's captivated by it. He is struck by it. And as he's beholding this wonder, he is overwhelmed by himself. What, what does he realize about himself? His sin, that he's not worthy that he is unclean. He says, woe is me, I am ruined. I shouldn't be here before your presence. He is made fully aware of who God is and who he is. 
And the same is true for us before God. That we serve a holy God, the God who has made all things for his glory. And because of sin, because of that first sin in Adam and Eve, the very beginning, all of humanity since then has been struggling before God. Because God is holy, we cannot come in to his presence. And so he must do something about that sin that separates us. It must be punished. And that's what Isaiah recognizes, that I can't be here. I can't stand in your presence, God, like this. And that's the bad news of the gospel that we must hear, that you and I must understand before God. But go with me to another passage of Scripture in the New Testament. This is in Luke chapter 5. Because of that, God the Father sends God the Son in Jesus to us. And look at this scene. It says, he got into one of the boats, Jesus, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. You see the connection between Isaiah and Simon Peter here? Both of them have realized that they are standing before God and they are overwhelmed by the majesty of it. And it leads both of them to immediately recognize that they have a huge problem, that they are unworthy, that they are unclean, and in fact, that they are spiritually bankrupt. They are without anything. They cannot muster up anything to make themselves acceptable before God. But Jesus says in that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is the beauty of the gospel. In other words, blessed are those who respond to Jesus like Isaiah and Peter do. Blessed are those who recognize that on our own we are spiritually bankrupt, that we cannot muster for ourselves enough spiritual goodness to be accepted by God. And that is truly the bad news of the gospel, that we deserve God's punishment. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to us to show us how we are to live with God, that we can live with God. And he did it by living the perfect life and becoming the perfect sacrifice for our sins on the cross. He who was clean became unclean for us. 
so that we could be acceptable to God, so that those of us who are poor in spirit could be made rich in Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. And it gets even better because not only does Jesus die on the cross for our sins to bring us back into relationship with God, but he raises from the dead so it makes it possible for us to now live in the newness of life. Newness of life to actually set out and live according to his kingdom now in this life, to be able to grow in the kind of character that Jesus is going to talk about throughout the Sermon on the Mount. But it all begins in that first statement. It all begins by understanding who we are before God, that we are poor in spirit. We cannot be filled. Think about this. This is on your outline. We cannot be filled until we first realize that we are empty. We cannot be filled until we are first empty. I want to read you something that this Welsh preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote about this uh, first beatitude, something that has stayed with me many years since I've read it. He describes the Sermon on the Mount as a mountain that the Christian life is this mountain that Jesus gives us. And listen to what he says. He said, the Sermon on the Mount, in other words, comes to us and says, there is the mountain that you have to scale, the heights that you have to climb. And the first thing you must realize as you look at that mountain, which you are told you must ascend, is that you cannot do it, that you are utterly incapable in and of yourself. And that any attempt to do it in your own strength is proof positive that you have not understood it. The Christian life is this mountain. And if we set out to ascend it and climb it according to our own strength, we show ourselves and God and others that we don't understand what Jesus is saying to us at all. We show that we don't understand the gospel. I love to read, and I've had to read a lot through my life for school and for preaching. I like to read a lot for preaching, Uh, and I'm having to read a lot right now as I'm pursuing a doctoral degree, but occasionally, I I just have to read something completely different. I got to get out of what I'm currently reading and kind of read something that I would never read, you know, on my own, nothing that I'm interested in, just to kind of change it up, something that is completely foreign to me. So about 10 years ago, I picked up this book by John Krakauer, and many of you may know who John Krakauer is. He's a pretty famous writer. He wrote books like uh, Into Thin Air and Into the Wild and Under the Banner of Heaven. But I picked up this book that he wrote, Iger Dreams, Ventures Among Men and Mountains. And it is a captivating book about ice climbing, which if you know me, I have no desire to do or want nothing to do with, but I'm fascinated to read about it. And the stories are remarkable. And so this book is all about climbing and ice climbing in particular. And he details these incredible expeditions up these incredible peaks. And in one part, he gives this account of a team that was 
scaling Mount McKinley, which is the highest peak in North America. And to set out to climb one of these peaks is not a small task. It, it takes logistics and teams of people and incredible supplies. It is an all-consuming task. It is a full-time job. But listen to this account by a person who was on this expedition. He says, as they made their way up the summit ridge, they could see the graceful spires of Mount Huntington and the moose's tooth poking surrealistically out of a thick layer of clouds, blanketing the Ruth Glacier, a distant 13,000 feet below. I knew in an abstract intellectual sort of way, Yates explained, that it was a beautiful view, but I couldn't get myself to care about it. I'd been up all night. I felt totally strung out. I was just too tired. At 9.20 on the morning of May 22, 1987, the members finally stood on the summit of Mount McKinley, the pinnacle of North America. But one person reported this. It consisted of three insignificant bumps on a rounded ridge with one bump rising a little higher than the others. That's all. It was incredibly anticlimactic. I guess I expected there to be fireworks and music playing in my head or something, but there wasn't anything like that. As soon as we got there, we turned around and started down again. You see, many of us are struggling with the reality that we don't have the life that we wished or that we wanted. And we've spent so much time trying to scale the mountain of life or scale the mountain to God by doing things that we think will make us happy or will fill us up or the things that our culture says are important. And many of us never get there. We never get to the top of those mountains. And some of us do. We do get to the top of those mountains. And just like the climber on our own, we can get to the top and it can be incredibly anticlimactic. We say, that's it. This is all. This is what I was putting all of my happiness in or all of my hope in. I thought there would be fireworks. I thought that when I got there, when I got to the top of this mountain, this promotion, that music would be playing. I thought when I got married that music would be playing in our hearts each and every day of our marriage. I turned around and I started looking for another mountain to climb. Isn't that true of our struggle? Friends, this morning, Jesus is telling us that the way to the top is by going to the bottom. The way to the top of the mountain is by going to the bottom. Life with God is about recognizing that you and I are poor in spirit. And only then can we set out on the expedition of following Jesus. Only then can we begin to live the life that he wants to give us. And the good news of the gospel tells us that if we recognize that we are at the bottom, that we are poor in spirit, it means that we believe that Jesus came to the bottom for us, that he went all the way down so that we could go to the top, 
that we could live with God. It is Jesus who has brought us up, not us. We have not scaled it on our own. We have not figured out life and happiness and all the things that we want to fulfill us. It is Jesus who has done it for us. And so as we conclude today, uh, we're asking the question, who are you depending on? If we look out into our lives, we ask that big question, what are we going to find? And as we think about following Jesus even, who are we depending on? If we're going to depend on Jesus, if that's the way we're going to set out in life, then we're going to also need to learn to stay poor in spirit. He's invited us into this life, and the Christian life is a continual reminder, a continual embrace of being poor in spirit. And so there's just two ways that I want to give you practically that I think can help us stay poor in spirit as we set out on this journey these next few weeks, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, as we look at these Beatitudes and continue following Jesus no matter how long we've been doing it. And the first is this, to preach the gospel to yourself. What do I mean by that? Each and every day we are invited to remember who we are before God, right? That without him, we are undone. We are like Isaiah. We are like Peter. But because of Jesus, he has made us his children, children of God that are rich in him. And so we preach that to ourselves each and every day because it's going to take it each and every day. And secondly, one of the ways that I've found that has helped me to stay poor in spirit is to surround myself with godly friends. You need the people in this room and other godly friends in your life to remind you that you cannot do this on your own. That without God, you are spiritually bankrupt. And it's in him that we should set out to live the whole of our lives. That's what it means to live and to stay poor in spirit. Some of you have small children. I have small children. Or maybe you've had small children around you in the past. And what is the thing that they want to do always? They want to do everything for themselves, right? I can do this, Daddy. Let me, let me. And you watch them fumble and you watch them, you know, kind of mess things up and the job is not done as quickly as you'd like. And it's, you have to come back and you have to fix all the errors and all the mistakes, but they just want to do it so desperately. And how are we not the same with God? We set out and we want to do all these things. God, just let me do it. Let me handle it on my own. And God is a heavenly father who is coming alongside and saying, let me do this for you. I have done it for you. I have provided all that you need for the blessed life, for the happy life. If you will recognize, recognize who you are and what I've done for you. And so how do we start this journey following Jesus? Some of you may have been on this journey for many, many years. Some of you are just beginning. How do we start the journey of following Jesus 
in this kingdom life in a fallen world? We do it by realizing that because of him, we are already at the top of the mountain. We're already at the top of the mountain. And so being a Christian is not about setting out to climb the mountain for God. Following the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes is not about climbing so that God will accept us. Because of Jesus, we start at the top and we live from there. And because we're at the top, we now have the ability to follow Jesus and let the character that he wants us to have grow in us. Let that be true for you today and let it be true for us. Now we have the freedom to live the Beatitudes, but it first takes us being honest about who we are, that we need him. And so who are you depending on today? Yourself or God? Jesus says there's only two ways. Life with me begins with you recognizing that you can only depend on him to grow, okay? Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have given us this clear reminder that life with you is not about status or works. It's not about what you have done for us. It's not, it's not about what we have done for ourselves. Lord, it's not all of the ways that we think will make us happy and the ways that we're tempted by this world to define ourselves. God, all of those paths just take us up the mountain and lead us nowhere. God, the life that you want for us, the life that we wish we had with you, we can have, not because of those things, not because of our efforts, but simply by receiving the gift, the gift of your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, for those who may be here today who have been on that expedition of life trying to find all of the ways that happiness can come or the blessed life can come, and if they have not yet ceded control of their life to you, God, I just pray that your spirit would come, that you would move hearts today to remember that it is only through Jesus that we find our life with you, that we can live the life that you want for us. And Lord, for those of us who have been believing that for many years, would you help us to remember each and every day that you have brought us to the top and we live from there following you. We give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.